Good morning, and it is a joy to be with you. I've had a wonderful weekend with your church, and especially your pastor and his wife, uh, Clay and Lynette, dear, dear friends that I have not seen in a while, and that heard many wonderful things about your church. And I can say firsthand, I have not been disappointed. So thank you for the honor that you've given me. And thank you for the honor of serving you at the Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, that is your seminary on the East Coast. Uh, God is being very kind to us today, more than 5,300 students. We have over 300 students that are right now full-time missionaries scattered around the world. And yet because of technology, they can still take classes as well. Almost every one of them is on a full scholarship. And that is possible because of the generosity of men and women like you. So let me just say thank you again for making it possible for us to do that. I want you to take your Bible this morning and join me in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to think on the subject, God's guidelines for growing your children, or <clears throat> how to love your children and let them know it. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1 and studying through verse 4, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Several years ago, I was directed to an article in Seventeen Magazine written by a teenage girl expressing the sorrow and heartache about her relationship or her lack of relationship with her father. It's a very powerful, powerful letter, and it's very sobering, and it raises all sorts of questions that I believe we as parents need to consider and to address. Here's what she wrote. Have you ever heard of a father who won't talk to his daughter? My father doesn't seem to know I'm alive. In my whole life, he's never said he loves me or given me a goodnight kiss unless I asked him to. I think the reason he ignores me is because I'm so boring. I look at my friends and I think, if I were funny like Jill, or a super brain like Sandy, or even outrageous and punk like Tasha, he would put down his paper and be fascinated. I play the recorder, and for the past three years, I've been a soloist in the fall concert at school. Mom comes to the concerts, but Dad, he never does. This year I'm a senior, and so it's his last chance. I'd give anything to look out into the audience and see him there, but who am I kidding? It will never happen. Now, parents, I am convinced that most all of us do love our children, but that's not the issue. The issue is by the things we say and the things we do, do your children feel and know that they are loved? And I want to say this to all of us this morning. I believe sometimes knowing that your mom and dad love you can even be the difference between life and death for a child. Several years ago, Focus on the Family carried a story. It's a remarkable story, and it's one of the most powerful witnesses I've ever read of the difference that the love of a daddy made in the life of one of his children. So before we go to God's Word, I want you to listen to this amazing story very quickly. One day, a father took his two elementary school-aged children for a ride in a pontoon boat. 
They were traveling down the river when suddenly the motor stopped. When the father looked behind him, he noticed something familiar about the red sweater tangled up in the propeller. His young son began to yell, Sherry fell in. In horror, the father saw his little girl entwined in the propeller of the boat. She was submerged just beneath the surface of the water, looking straight into the eyes of her daddy and holding her breath. He jumped into the water and tried to pull the motor up, but the heavy engine would not budge, and time was now running out. Desperately, the father filled his own lungs with air and dipped below the surface, blowing air into his daughter's lungs. After giving her air three different times, the father took a knife from his shocked son's hand. He quickly cut the red sweater from the propeller and lifted his daughter back into the boat. Although she had survived, her deep cuts and bruises needed medical attention, so they rushed her to the hospital. But when the crisis was over, the doctors and nurses came into her room and they asked the little girl this simple question, how come you didn't panic? Well, she said, we've grown up on the river, and my daddy always taught us that if you panic, you could die. And besides, I knew my daddy would come and get me. Now, parents, grandparents, do your children know that? Do they know that if they did something that broke your heart, if they did something that disappointed you beyond measure, do they know that if they called out my dad, my mom, they would come and get me? You see, I do believe that almost all parents do love their children, but the issue really is, do your children know and feel that they are loved? So what I'm going to do this morning is, first of all, do an exposition of Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and walk us through these verses. And then in my latter time, I'm going to be very practical and lay out for you some specific things that I believe we as parents, and again now, grandparents, I got 14 of them, so might as well go ahead and claim them, what we can do to let them know we really do love them. Number one. We love our children by educating them. We love our children by educating them. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, verse 6, verse 1, it is the proper thing for us to do. Look at it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word obey is an imperative. It's a word of command. God commands children, obey mom and dad. It's in the present tense, which means this is to be the, the pattern or the habit of your child's life. Now, from the time my little boys were uh, in our home, I tried to impart to them, as I think all good parents do, the expectation of their obedience. Now, will they disobey? Of course they will. They're little sinners, just like you and I are big sinners, all right? But we should impart to them the expectation of their obedience. Children, you obey your parents. Now, Paul qualifies it in two ways. He says, number one, it's in the Lord. And number two, Paul says, this is right. I believe in the context, that phrase, in the Lord, means unto the Lord. So mom and dad, teach your children as they're growing up that when they obey you, they're actually obeying Jesus. And when they disobey you, they're actually 
disobeying the Lord, which then opens the door for gospel opportunities to share. But even though you've disobeyed him, he loves you. He died for you, and he wants to have a personal relationship with you, and you have the opportunity, even as they're very small, of sowing those seeds of the gospel. So the Bible says it's in the Lord, and the Bible says this is right. This is the way God planned it. This is the way God ordained the family life. But now, parents, listen to me. Telling our children what to do, I don't believe, is enough. I believe we have to help our kids understand why. Why? Why should you walk down this path? Why should you live in this kind of a way and not another? And so Paul, being the theologian that he is, goes back to the Ten Commandments found both in Exodus chapter 20, again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and Paul says, look, there is a promise to children who obey mom and dad, verse 1, and who now honor mom and dad, verse 2, and verse 3. Look at it, verse 2. Honor your father and mother. By the way, just like that word obey, the word honor is an imperative, word of command. It's also in the present tense. So God says you're to continually obey mom and dad. You're to continually honor mom and dad. And note, this is the first commandment with a promise. Well, what's the promise? It's twofold. Number one, a better life. And number two, a longer life. Obey mom and dad. Honor mom and dad. This is the first commandment with a promise, verse 3, that it may go well with you. And you may live long in the land. God says as a general covenant of life, if you obey and honor mom and dad, I'll bless you with both a better life and also a longer life. Now, some of you are here this morning and I know you're wanting to say, Danny, time out. Hold on. That's great if you grew up in a good home. But if you knew the hell on earth I grew up in, if you knew today the dysfunctional family that is mine, you would have to acknowledge these verses are not for me. I mean, I bet you grew up in a good home and you don't really understand what some of us have endured and what some of us have suffered. And the fact is, I did grow up in a good home. Uh, my mom and dad took good care of me. They, they loved me. They provided for me. They came to all of my ball games. Danny Aiken has no complaints about how Lowell and Emma Lou Aiken raised him and cared for him as a dad and a mom. But I think I do understand. You see, God gave me a wife who had exactly the opposite experience of me. You see, my wife Charlotte was born into the home of alcoholic parents. And when my wife was nine years old, uh, after her mom and dad had divorced a few years earlier, she, along with her brother and sister, were placed in the Georgia Baptist Children's Home in Palmetto, Georgia, just outside of Noonan. And my wife would live there from the time she was nine until she was 18. During those years, she never saw her daddy. In fact, she would not see her daddy again until after we were married. Her mother, she did not see again until she was almost 17 years of age. In fact, when we first started dating, she did not even know if her mother was alive. She had not heard a word from her mother since she was nine years old. In fact, we were driving one day, we were living in Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and we were driving down toward Nashville, and we were talking about growing up, and I said, well, honey, uh, do you remember the day that you left to go to the children's home? And 
She got a little quiet, and she said, well, yeah, I, I do. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, I was over at my daddy's house to say goodbye. And my mother had come over, and she was really mad about the whole thing. And I was sitting out on the front porch uh, on a bench. And Mama walked out on the front porch and looked at me, reached back and slapped me in the face and knocked me out of the front yard and said, all of this is your fault, you little blank. And she turned around and walked back into the house. She would not see her mother again until she was 17 years old. In fact, I remember talking to her again about her family one day as we were in the car. And I said, well, honey, did you ever like, you know, ask your daddy to come and see you? And again, she got kind of quiet. And this time a tear started running down her face. And she said, well, yeah, I, I would call my daddy, especially when we had parents weekend where parents were allowed to come and see their kids. And I, I would say, daddy. Uh, it's parents weekend and I really would like for you to come and see me. Would you come? And she said, you know, my daddy always said the same thing every time. Yeah, babe, I'll come and see you. So my wife would get up on Saturday as a 11, 12-year-old little girl. She'd put on her nicest dress. She'd go out on the front porch and sit on a bench and she would wait. Two, three, sometimes she'd sit there for four or five hours waiting for a daddy who never showed up. I remember very clearly when we got married. I was standing beside her in my mom and dad's home in Forest Park, Georgia. She called her daddy. Daddy, I'm getting married. And I want you to give me away. It got real quiet. Tears began to run down her face. And I remember her saying, well, daddy, I know you're shy. And so if you don't want to give me away, that's okay. I just want you to come to my wedding. And even though he only lived about 10 miles away, he didn't come. He didn't come. I remember the first time I met her father. Uh, we were back in Georgia to see our family. We were living in Dallas, Texas at the time. And uh, her daddy came over uh, for Christmas dinner. And she'd reestablished a relationship with her mom. And so we had... Christmas dinner together, and I have to confess to you guys, I, I didn't act like I should have. I mean, I was angry. I, I was very angry at him for the way he had treated my wife and his daughter. And, but afterwards, he needed to go back to the Veterans Hospital because he was again going through a treatment for his alcoholism. And so as we drove him back to the Veterans Hospital, and he got out of our van to walk back into the hospital, in a very insensitive way, uh, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, honey, your dad's just pretty sorry. He ain't worth much. She turned and looked at me, and she didn't get angry. But with tears streaming down her face, again, I'll never forget. Well, I, I guess he is. But he is still my daddy. And I will always love him. And folks, I've been married to my wife now for over 44 years. In all those years, I have never even one time heard her say anything ugly about either her dad or her mom. By the way, we don't know about his soul. He died early because of this evil, wicked thing called alcohol. He died never telling his daughter he loved her. We shared the gospel with him several times, but he was one of these kind of persons that believed, I'm just too bad and too evil, and I've done too much wrong 
for God to love me. Which, by the way, if you're here today, I don't care what you've done. He loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And I just, I hold out hope that, that somehow, some way, maybe he trusted the Lord before he died. Her mother, well, it's a sweeter ending in one way. We were at uh, Wake Forest at Southeastern. I'd only been there a few years. We got a call one day from her sister informing us that her mother, this is how dysfunctional her family still is. We were informed that her mother had been in the ICU unit at Grady Hospital in downtown Atlanta for three weeks, and they had not called us. But now they were calling us because they needed Charlotte to agree with her brother and sister to sign off on a non-resuscitation order because they basically said she's dying from emphysema, from the alcoholism and the effect on her body, and we are not going to be able to save her. So we need you to sign off on our non-resuscitation order. And, and Charlotte said, well, I, I can't do that over the phone, and I certainly can't do that now. And she hung up the phone, and she looked at me, and she began to weep. And she said, you know... I can barely handle the thought of my mother dying and going to hell. And so we got on our knees and we, we prayed. And when we got up, she looked at me and she said, Honey, do you think Dr. James Merritt, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, pastor's in Atlanta, he's a former president of SBC, but she said, do you think James would go and witness to my mother? And I said, Well, I think if I called him, he would. So I called him, and he said, well, Danny, I I'll be glad to. He said, I'm leaving in the morning to go out of town. This was on a Tuesday. But when I get back Friday, I'll go see Charlotte's mom, and I'll be glad to share the gospel with her. And I thanked him, and I said, you know, she really is sick, and we don't know how much longer she'll live, but I appreciate that. And so we hung up the phone, and we prayed again, and we went out to, I said, honey, let's just go out and have dinner. So we went to a little Mexican restaurant nearby, and about... Oh, I don't know. 20 minutes later, Dr. Merrick calls me and he says, you know, I don't think I should wait till Friday. Teresa and I are going to go down there now. And this friend of mine drove 50 miles from up into Cula, Georgia, down to Grady Hospital. He went up into the ICU unit and he shared the gospel with Charlotte's mother and literally on her deathbed, she prayed to trust Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And then she died just a few days later. And folks, I'm absolutely convinced that when I get to heaven, there's going to be a lady there by the name of Dealey Ramsey. And she will be there because she had a daughter who never stopped loving her, never stopped honoring her, never gave up on her. And folks, I want to tell you something this morning, and I say this proudly, my wife is one of my heroes. She's a hero to me. She's a wonderful wife. She's a godly mother who raised four godly sons. Everybody that knows her loves her. And see, even though she was born into hell on earth, to the best of her ability, she honored God's word and he kept his. And the Bible says we love our children by the way we educate them. But number two, the Bible also says we love our children by encouraging them. Look at verse 4. Fathers, now let me stop. I don't think the remainder of verse 4 is not also intended for mothers. But gentlemen, it is God's reminder that he calls you and me, not the wife, not the mother. He calls you and me to be the leaders of our home. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provide for your kids an unsettled kind of situation. No, no, no. 
but rather nurture them, nourish them, bring them up in the discipline or training and the instruction of the Lord. So the Bible says negatively, don't make your kids angry and provide an unsettled world for them, but rather be active in giving them advice, nourish them and nurture them in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now, a lot of times parents want to say, time out, time out, time out. Danny, kids don't listen to mom and dad. Haven't you read all the data and all the studies? All of the information we are getting says that children are far more influenced by peer pressure than they are parental instruction. And folks, I don't want to be unkind this morning to the experts, but they're idiots. I'm sorry. They do not know what they're talking about because the fact of the matter is your children do listen to what you say. And they care deeply about what you think. And they watch like little hawks what you do. Several years ago, there was a survey taken of teenagers in America. Probably the largest survey ever of teenagers. And we learned a, a, a lot about what teenagers think and how they look at life. But several things were very interesting. And one stood out because Newsweek magazine noted it. Listen to what they wrote. In a recent national survey, teenagers named their parents as their number one heroes. Hey guys, who's your hero? Movie star? Nope. Athlete? Nope. Politician? Are you kidding me? Now I'm just playing there. I'm just playing. If you're here and you're a politician and you love Jesus, Praise God, may your tribe increase, but no, no, no. You want to know who my hero is? It's my daddy, and it's my mama. That may explain this. They asked them this question. I find this one fascinating. If you were stranded on a desert island, and you could have only one thing, what one thing would you want? Well, here's what they said. 10% a television. So what you're going to do with a television on a stranded desert island, I don't know, but I'm just going to leave that one alone. I don't want to think about it very long. 15% said books. Well, that's better. 21% said a computer. Well, if it's solar powered, that's all right. 24% said their music. But the number one answer overwhelmingly was stranded on a desert island. I have one thing that's easy. I want my dad and I want my mom. You see, parents, they do care what you think. They do listen to what you say. And they pay a whole lot of attention to what you do. So very quickly, I'm just going to throw out in the time that I have left a few ideas that I think can help you and me get down the road by the things we do that will let our children know that we do love them. So here we go. Number one, you love them well by getting down on their level and entering into their world. By getting down on their level and entering into their world. In other words, you step back and you ask, how does my 3-year-old, my 5-year-old, my 10-year-old, my 15-year-old, my 18-year-old, given their age, given their sex, given their interests, given their personalities, how do they look at life? And you love them well by stepping back and trying to enter in to their world. In fact, this particular principle is grounded in the incarnation. Let me ask you a question this morning. 
How do we know that God loves us? We know that God loves us because he came down and got on our level and entered into our world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'll be the first to admit it is not always easy to get into the world of a child. I heard about a little boy. His turtle died, broke his heart, cried all day. Mom couldn't get anywhere. Within, Dad comes home, and Mom says, Honey's in the backyard crying. You need to go back there and do something. Dad goes back there. Sure enough, the turtle's not moving. The little boy's crying. So Dad begins to rack his brain. He says, Look, son, I'm sorry your turtle died. But I tell you what, we can have a turtle funeral and celebrate your turtle going to turtle heaven or wherever they go. And I tell you what, I'll get a little shoebox, and I'll put him in it. I'll dig a hole back here, and we'll bury your, your turtle in our backyard. He'll always be here. And since we're going to have a little funeral service, I, I, I'll, I'll preach a little sermon for your turtle's funeral. And you can invite all your friends over to the house for the funeral. And I'll tell you what, since we're celebrating his going to turtle heaven, let's have a party. I'll get your mom to make a cake. I'll make some ice cream, our homemade ice cream. And we'll just have a little party celebrating your turtle's funeral. And after that, we can go down to the park. And we'll take our bat and our ball and we'll play. And son, what do you think if we do all that to celebrate your turtle's funeral? Well, he's still crying, but he says, we, we can have a party. We can have a party. And I can invite everyone you got. And mom, mom will make a cake. I'll make ice cream. And we'll do all that to celebrate your turtle's funeral. What do you think? The tears stopped. And a little smile came across his face. And he said, well, daddy, that'll be okay. Boy, Dad felt great. He saved the day. Took his son by the hand. They began to walk back to the house. And sure enough, at that exact moment, suddenly, out of that shell, boom, comes that turtle's head. <laughs> he begins to look around and, and check everything out. And, and Dad saw it. And Dad said, look, son, look, your turtle. He's not dead after all. The little boy, he began to scream and cry again. Kill him, Daddy. Kill him. I, I want to have my party. Now, that may not make sense to a 65-year-old. That makes all the sense in the world to a 5-year-old little boy. And if you're going to love them well, you're going to get down on their level and enter in to their world. Number two, love your mate. Just love your mate. See, I love to say it this way. Great partners almost always make great parents. Why? Because the number one need in the life of a child related to love is security. And nothing brings security in the life of a child like knowing my daddy loves my mama. And my mama loves my daddy. And they're always going to be here just for me. And if you will just love your mate, you'll give your kids about 99% of all that they need. Number three, you love them well by giving them discipline. By giving them discipline, they come to the world screaming, where are the boundaries? Uh, what's right? What's wrong? Now, I don't claim to be an expert here. My wife and I did the best we could, flying by the seat of our pants for about 40, uh, 20 years with each one of them. And uh, I'll just share a few things we learned along the way from, from experience, but also God's word that maybe can be helpful to you. Uh, first of all, I think this. Give your kids a big playing field and not a little box. You say, why? Well, number one, if you say to your children, you must live in the little box all the time, they won't. 
They can. You say, why not? Because they're kids. And this much I do know. God did not design little boys to live in a little box. Number two, you won't be consistent in your discipline. And that's why you need to make sure that wherever you draw the lines, you are rigorously, rigorously, rigorously consistent in your discipline. When our boys were little, I think the twins were about five, we had a rule. You cannot go into mom and dad's bathroom. If you do, you will get a spanking. You say, well, why would y'all have that rule? Because Nathan, uh, one of our twins, went in there one day, grabbed a bottle of Camphophonique and opened it up and swallowed all the Camphophonique in that bottle. So we took him to the hospital, and they said, well, you need to take him to uh, the children's hospital in downtown Dallas. So we took him over to Parkland Hospital, same hospital they took John Kennedy when he got shot. We went up into the pediatric care area, and we sat there from a 7 o'clock uh, at night till midnight. Finally, at midnight, a doctor sees us, and he says, what did he do? We said he swallowed camphophonique. He said, when did he do it? Well, he did it about 5 o'clock. And his response, well, nothing's happened to him now. He'll be fine. Y'all can go home. And that's it. And they charged me for that. I, I'm still in therapy over that one. So anyway, we decided they just need to stay out of the bathroom unless we're in there and we know what's going on. Well, sure enough, about a month later, Jonathan, the other twin, uh, comes into the, and they were three. I misspoke. They were three. Comes into our bedroom and walks right over to the edge of the carpet and the tile of the bathroom and looks up at me like a little three-year-old can and just grins and, and smiles. And, and I said, now, son, that's a sweet smile, but let me tell you something. You know the rule. And if you go in that bathroom, you are going to get a spanking. He looks back down, looks up at me, and all he did was this. You say, oh, that is cute. What did you do? I tore his little tail up. That's exactly what I did. Because I told him, if you go in there, you will get a spanking. So draw the lines where they need to be drawn. And teenagers, you'll like this. If your kids are faithful and trustworthy and you can depend upon them to be good decision makers, let that playing field get bigger and bigger and bigger. On the other hand, if they're not, then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I told my sons when they were growing up, if you do, I will chain your tail to your bed till the day you die in Jesus' name. <laughs> and someday they'll find your skeleton there. Now, you said, oh, you didn't. I did say it. Now, they knew I was being playful, but they also knew daddy's serious. And daddy loves us too much. To let us grow up and make fools of ourselves. Now, let me also say this, and I'll move on. I think we discipline our kids all the days they're under our watch care. But I believe we adjust the way we discipline as they grow older. And listen to what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 29 and verse 15. The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. The rod of the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left himself will bring shame to his mother. You say, Danny, wait a minute. This is the year 2022. We're a highly sophisticated Western culture. Yeah. You think it's still okay 
to spank children when they're small, I don't think it's okay. I think sometimes it's absolutely necessary. Look, I'm not smart, but I did go to school a long time. Uh, that's why I have a PhD, so all it means you went to school a long time. And my minor's in philosophy. So I was taught when I did my graduate work to make good, sound, logical arguments. But when my boys were little, I could give them what I knew was virtually an infallible argument. And for whatever reason, they just didn't get it. But when I got back here, you see, I think their brain is in their buns when they first are born. I think that's where their brain is located. And for some reason, suddenly they would become highly intelligent. So listen to me. Always under control and in moderation, yes, I think it is okay to spank them when they're young. But question, in the world of the Bible, when did a boy and a girl become an adult? Answer, age 12. Question, you think dad was taking the rod to them when they were 14, 16, 18 years old, I seriously doubt it. Say, all right, these four boys of yours, did you spank them when they were little? Yes, occasionally. But when did you stop? Well, we've talked about this. None of my four sons, nor do I, have any memory of a spanking after they were 9 or 10. Now, did I continue to discipline them as teenagers? Yes, because I love them. But I figured out and came to believe that the, the rebuke and the restriction were better ways of disciplining young men, and I believe young women. But here's the deal. You love your children, you will give them discipline. Number four, you love them well by the way you look at them. Your eyes can say to your child, I'm disappointed in you. Your eyes can say to your child, I love you, and I am very, very, very proud of you. Proverbs 20:12 says the hearing ear and the seeing eye the Lord has made them both yes to see but also to communicate love to your children. Number five you love them by touching them. Ecclesiastes 3 5 says there's a time to embrace. Let me be specific here dads. God's blessed you with little girls in a good healthy way. You need to hold them hug them kiss them why? Because God designed little girls with a need for male affirmation. And he designed it that they would get it first and foremost from their daddy. Mamas, you got boys. Let me give you a word of encouragement. I discovered a number of years ago a teenage boy will let his mama kiss him in the morning when she takes him to school. If she will just do it in the floorboard of the car. <laughs> That's right. As long as nobody can see and he can remove your war paint, he will let you do it because boys need that tender affection from mama just like they need more of that roughhouse affection from their daddies. But God designed children with a need to be touched by mom and dad. Number six, and this one is painful, you love your kids by spending time with them. Focused on the family, took a survey some years ago. I saw a secular survey about five years later. Nothing has changed on average, on average. Five-year-olds spend 25 to 35 minutes a week with their dads, but they spend 20 to 25 hours a week with a TV or what we now refer to as technological babysitters. Technological babysitters. 
Think of all the devices that we have out there now that occupy and consume the time of our children. Think about this again. 25 to 35 minutes a week with daddy. 20 to 25 hours a week with a technological babysitter. That may explain this. Reader's Digest some years ago took a survey of four and five-year-olds and they asked them this question. If you had to vote to give away either your daddy or your TV, which would you vote to give away? And one-third, 33% said, I'd rather give away my daddy than I would my TV. One man, in reflecting back upon his childhood, sat down and wrote this to a local newspaper and they put it in that newspaper. That's where I got it. Here's what he wrote. You didn't take care of me, you sent me to daycare. You didn't feed me, you sent me to McDonald's. You didn't study with me, you bought me a computer. You didn't talk with me, you bought me a stereo. You didn't look at me, you bought me a TV. You didn't play with me, you bought me toys. Now that I'm grown and you're old, why should I come and see you? I don't even know who you are. And yes, love is a beautiful four-letter word. But I think sometimes the best way to spell it is T-I-M-E. Number seven, you love your kids by listening to them. By listening to them. James 1.19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak, which means what? Parents, turn off the TV. Put away the smartphone or the iPad. Sit down with your children, eyes to eye, ear to ear, heart to heart. And by locking in in that kind of a way, you say to your children, I think what you think is important. And I am here not to talk. I am here just to listen. Number eight. This is a painful one. You love your kids by blessing them rather than cursing them. By blessing them rather than cursing them. You say, what do you mean by that, Danny? Your words. Have you ever stopped to think what it's like to be a child and to hear what they hear coming out of the mouth of mom and dad? I've been compiling a list over the years, and this is how my list stands as of today. And let me say before I read this to you, some of these things are on here because to my shame, I said these things to my sons when they were growing up. Put that down. Stop that right now. Shut up. I don't care what you're doing. Come here right now. Listen to me. Give me that. Don't touch that. Go away. Leave me alone. Can't you see I'm busy? Not like that, stupid. Boy, that was really dumb. Can't you do anything right? Why, you'd lose your head if it wasn't screwed on. Hurry up. We don't have all day. What's the matter with you? Can't you hear anything? I don't know what I'm going to do with you. Folks, we would hardly ever talk to a stranger like that, much less a dog. And yet we say things like that to our children. And listen to me, don't you ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of your words to shape and mold the way your children see themselves and indeed cast their future for them. I was in Mississippi a number of years ago. Spoke on this subject. After the service, a 65-year-old man came up to me and said, Brother Danny, can I share my testimony with you? And I said, well, sure you can. He said, I got saved five years ago at the age of 60. It's been the five most wonderful years of my life. He said, Brother Danny, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm also a recovering drug addict. 
I also went through a number of failed marriages, and I want you to know they were my fault. I, I hurt some really, some really nice ladies. He said, Brother Danny, I'm going to stop there, but I, I guess you're getting the picture that until recently, my, wife, my life was pretty much a mess. And he said, Brother Danny, I don't blame anybody. I, I made the dumb choices, and I made the bad decisions. But then he looked at me, and he said, but you know, Brother Danny, when I think back to when I was a little boy, all I can really remember my daddy saying to me were things like this. Boy, you can't do anything. Boy, you're just downright dumb. Boy, you'll never grow up to amount to anything. He said, isn't it strange, but I grew up to be exactly what my daddy said I would be. But then a smile came across his face and he said, but five years ago when I met Jesus, I got a new daddy. And my new daddy loves me, and my new daddy believes in me. And he said it in this way. I've never heard him out say it like this. But he said, my new daddy thinks I can do things. He said, Brother Danny, it really does matter what you believe your daddy thinks about you. Two more, and I'm through. Number nine, you love your kids by having fun with them. By having fun with them. In fact, many times I've been asked over the years, do you have a parental philosophy? And I said, well, yeah, I do, and it's really pretty simple. They said, well, what is it? Just two things. Number one, teach your children that the most wonderful thing in all the world is Jesus. And just talk to your kids all of the time about how wonderful Jesus is. Number two, just have fun with them. Just have fun with them. And if you do, you will increase the odds that your kids will grow up to be okay. And number two, they'll come back and see you when you're old and they got grandkids. Your house needs to be a Grand Central Station. Your house needs to be a fun place to be. Now, I know some of you, you've got really nice houses on the inside, and you've got some really nice stuff in your house, and you're like, well, but Danny, I I've got this antique that's like five generations back, and I just can't have a bunch of youngins running through my house. Well, I have some counsel for you. Number one, get a box. <clears throat> Number two, put your antique in the box. Number three, wrap it up. And number four, stick it in the attic and leave it there. Now, when your kids grow up, you can get it back out for a short period of time. Stick it back where you had it. But if you are smart and you've been a good parent, your kids are going to bring something back to your house called what? Grandkids. Praise God. And so God, what are you going to do with your antique? You're going to find that box again. You're going to stick it back in there. Put it back in the attic, and when you die, they'll find it, and they decide what they want to do with it, okay? So you got a deal. I mean, folks, listen. An antique's just stuff. Your children and your ch grandchildren, they're human lives that you need to shape and mold and love and care for and help them understand they matter a whole lot more to you than your stuff. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, you love your children by introducing them to a perfect parent. Now you say, Danny, I could never be a perfect parent, and I know that. I can't be one either. Now we can be good parents. We can be great parents and great grandparents. But you see, God made every one of you here today, every one of you, with what the old theologians called a God-shaped vacuum. I call it a hole in the soul that can only be filled by a relationship with a perfect parent, a perfect heavenly father. 
In fact, let me, as Paul Harvey, where he's still alive, let me say and share the rest of the story. What turned my life, my, my wife's life around? She's 10 years old. Her life is shattered. Her mother hates her, she thinks. Her daddy won't come and see her. She's in a children's home with strangers. What happened? I mean, what happened? Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened on a Sunday morning just like this at the First Baptist Church in Fairburn, Georgia. The pastor, at the end of his message, shared the gospel and shared that God loves us. And he proved it by sending his son Jesus to die for us. And God raised him from the dead. And if you will repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus, he will save you. And the pastor that morning said, and God will become your father. And that morning, as a 10-year-old little girl, my wife came forward. And she loves to say it this way. On that Sunday morning, I gave my heart to Jesus. And Jesus gave his heart to me. And God became my father. And if you met my wife and you were to ask her, Charlotte, when you got saved, what was the most wonderful thing? Knowing that when you die, you go to heaven? And she would say, that's wonderful. But it wasn't the most wonderful for me. Well, was it knowing that all your sins are forgiven? And she would say, that's wonderful too. But it, it wasn't the most wonderful for me. So you might say, well, then what was? And she'll tell you that when I got saved, I got a new daddy. And my new daddy made a promise. And let me tell you, this is a promise for all of us. But it's a pretty special promise for a little orphan girl. My father promised me, it's in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And folks, what he has done in the life of my wife, he'll do for any one of you this morning. All you have to do is ask him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the counsel and wisdom of your word. And I thank you that, Lord, we all in this room can be really good, even really great parents and grandparents, but we can't be perfect. But there is one who is perfect, and we can know him through a relationship with your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this morning that if there's even one person here, a little boy or a little girl, a man or a woman, and I don't care how old they are, if they've never repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus and allowed you to invade their life as their perfect heavenly Father who will never leave them and will never forsake them, I ask right now that you would open their heart through your Holy Spirit. They would see how wonderful Jesus is and how much you love them. And they would come to you in faith and receive you into their life as Savior and Father and Lord, and Master, and King. Do it, Lord, for their good, but for your glory. And we ask and we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.